Hey, it's Gabe. I want to recommend a podcast I think you'll enjoy called What Could Go Right. On What Could Go Right, the hosts, Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva-Lucas, sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues. They look back at how far society has come and look forward to what it will take to achieve a brighter future. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, listen to What Could Go Right wherever you get your podcasts. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that believes there's no time like the present to learn about the past. I'm Gabe Lusier, and in this episode, we're talking about the Rum Riot of Portland, Maine, a regional uprising that offered a glimpse into the future problems of the Prohibition era to come. The day was June 2nd, 1855. Roughly 3,000 people stormed City Hall in Portland, Maine, looking for a secret stash of alcohol that had been illegally purchased by the mayor. Three years earlier, Maine had become the first state in the Union to ban alcohol, and Portland's mayor, Neil Dow, had been especially stringent in enforcing that law. When the townspeople found out Dow had purchased medicinal alcohol without the required approval of a committee, they accused him of hypocrisy and marched to City Hall to gather the proof themselves. This event, now known as the Portland Rum Riot, resulted in multiple injuries and one death, a 22-year-old sailor named John Robbins. The incident occurred nearly 70 years before national prohibition went into effect, but in Portland, the battle between pro- and anti-temperance groups had already been brewing for decades. By the 1820s, religious attitudes had begun to soften in New England, 
In a break from the region's austere Puritan roots, Protestants began to focus on reform rather than condemnation. In an effort to better both themselves and their communities, they launched campaigns for the abolition of slavery, the fight for women's suffrage, and for the care of the less fortunate. Another target of reform was the nation's growing problem with alcohol, which had led to a steep rise in domestic violence and unemployment in recent years. To combat the problem, religious leaders and doctors joined forces with recovering alcoholics and established a grassroots temperance movement in New England. Their goal was to promote a more moderate approach to drinking. But by the mid-century, some within the movement felt a less compromising approach was needed. One such hardliner was Mayor Neil Dow of Portland, Maine, a.k.a. the Napoleon of Temperance. He and his new tougher breed of reformers weren't interested in preaching moderation. Instead, they called for a statewide ban on alcohol. And in 1851, they got their wish when the Maine Liquor Law was signed by the state governor. The statute prohibited both the manufacture and sale of alcoholic beverages in Maine. The only exception was alcohol used for medical, mechanical, or manufacturing purposes. In those select cases, a municipal committee could decide whether or not to grant a special dispensation for the buyer. This legislative approach to temperance became the model for neighboring states, with several, including Massachusetts, soon passing their own similar bans. Still, just like the national prohibition that would follow it, the main law didn't really stop people from drinking. Farmers simply made wine and hard cider out of the fruit they grew. The more entrepreneurial residents took to bootlegging, brewing beer and liquor at home, and then selling it to neighbors on the sly. However, some communities were harder hit by the ban than others. In Portland, for example, about 11% of the city's population were Irish immigrants, some of whom owned and operated many of the city's now shuttered taverns. They felt targeted by the new law, especially since their homes were the ones the police most often raided in search of contraband liquor. Mayor Dow's war on alcohol didn't win him many fans in the working class and migrant communities of his city. He lost his bid for re-election in 1852 and was quick to blame his loss on Irish immigrants, who he alleged had voted illegally. Against the odds, Dow was elected mayor again three years later, but he would only hold the office for two months before being more or less forced out by the Portland rum riot. By June of that year, some of the city's Irish and German residents had learned that Mayor Dow was storing $1,600 worth of alcohol in a vault under City Hall. The liquor was ostensibly for distribution to pharmacists and doctors, but Dow hadn't bothered to seek permission for the purchase from a municipal committee. Many who felt targeted by the mayor were furious to learn of his apparent hypocrisy. It was with this in mind that a local paper, the Eastern Argus, published the following call to arms on the morning of June 2nd. It read, quote, While the city authorities are busy searching private houses for demijohns and jugs of liquor, it is perhaps not strange that they should overlook wholesale importations into the city of what are probably impure liquors intended for sale. Why doesn't the marshal seize and destroy? 
The mayor of the city has no more right to deal in liquors without authority than any other citizen. Where are our vigilant police, who are aware of the above facts, and who think it their duty to move about in search of the poor man's cider, and often push their search into private houses, contrary to every principle of just law? We call upon them, by virtue of Neil Dow's law, to seize Neil Dow's liquors and pour them into the street. Many of the paper's readers took that directive to heart, but at first, the move against Dow was completely by the books. According to state law, any three citizens could request a search warrant from a judge if they believed a crime had been committed. On June 2nd, three representatives from the Irish community asked for, and were granted, a search warrant for City Hall. However, when they showed the search warrant at the door, the police refused to let them in. Neither side backed down, and soon a large crowd began to form outside City Hall. By 5 p.m., more than 200 people had gathered, and as the workday drew to a close, the crowd swelled to as many as 3,000 people, most of whom were Irish. As the standoff dragged on, some in the crowd began threatening to storm the building. A short time later, a few men began throwing rocks at the vault where the illicit liquor was being held. It was around that time that Mayor Dow called out the local militia and ordered them to fire on the crowd. Amidst the chaos, John Robbins managed to unlock the door of the liquor vault. He had hoped to conduct the lawful search that he and the other residents were entitled to, but instead, he was struck down by a hail of bullets. The rest of the crowd began to disperse, but the militia kept right on shooting, eventually wounding seven more people in the process. In the aftermath of the riot, Mayor Dow was heavily criticized for ordering the militia to fire, but he never showed remorse or received any kind of disciplinary action. In fact, he was later acquitted of the only charges against him, that he had broken his own law by obtaining alcohol without approval. That said, the Portland Rum Riot effectively killed both Dow's political career and the Maine liquor law. Dow lost re-election by a huge margin, and in 1856, Maine repealed its statewide ban on alcohol. Five years later, Neil Dow served the Union as a colonel in the Civil War. He returned home a hero, having been wounded, captured, rescued, and promoted to general. But even with his somewhat redeemed status, Dow was still unable to return to public office. He ran for governor of Maine and for the presidency of the United States, on the Prohibition Party ticket, naturally. But neither bid was successful. Undeterred, Dow continued to fight for Prohibition as a private citizen until his death in 1897, at the age of 93. It would be another three decades before his dream of nationwide Prohibition would come to pass, an experiment that lasted longer than his own but was ultimately just as doomed to fail. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you enjoyed today's show, consider keeping up with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. You can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, or you can send your feedback directly to me by writing to this day at iHeartMedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow 
for another day in history class. What's up, guys? This is Sean, Lights Out Merriman, and Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at LightsOutXF.com, and we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. Doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be Lights Out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to LightsOutXF.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like... Whoa. And... Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com.